Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Hamplett from What Culture, to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, oh. pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bigger quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Hamlet to review AW Dynamite. Michael Sidgwick putting the, I can tell you this officially now, finishing touches to his brilliant AEW book, which you can now pre-order. Whatculture.bigcartel.com, I believe, is the link you need to head to. It's a brilliant book uh, he's been working on for absolutely bloody ages, all about the rise of AEW. Uh, so you can go and pre-order that now. It'll be in there by your side by the time Christmas comes. That's all I'll say for now. But Hamflet, what did you make? Oh, thank Christ, back on a Wednesday of AEW Dynamite. Yeah, back where AEW belongs and indeed back where the feeling of watching AEW belongs. This was a tremendous broadcast and a really a great Dynamite for addressing one of what had been one of my personal long-held criticisms for a while, which was the top of the hour slash second hour lag. Mm-hmm. This didn't have any of that. In fact, what it felt like was what exactly what you would have wanted. The sense that we haven't just seen the most exciting thing. We've something seen something really cool and now here comes something else. And it was just graduating in exhilaration and excitement and stakes, I guess, because everything sort of built to the main event match featuring the main event players and the main event programme. And we'll get to that because I sense there's been a bit of divisiveness and I'm quite interested to mm. uh, unpack some of that a little bit. And there were bits on this show that I had a few issues with. I watched this live last night. I know you always think I'm insane for doing that, but I was really, <laughs> I found myself um, accidentally sleeping earlier than I meant to when I got in from work last night. No spoilers on what occurred yesterday at What Culture Offices, but plenty will be coming soon to YouTube to answer those yeah. mysteries. Um, so my sleeping was a little bit all over the shop and I found myself awake enough to watch Dynamite. Really, really glad I did, but I had a lot of these impulsive takes that were firing off, as you do on Twitter, and there was some debate over a couple of them, and it's just made me think a little bit more about stuff today. So this was far from a perfect show, but as a wrestling experience, this was back to Wednesday Dynamite's at the best. Just like a really like joyous blast of a two hours. Yeah, I really enjoyed this show, and I've sat there and witnessed this morning in the office, Andy Murray and Michael Sidgwick going back and forth over the physical desks about that main event. Although I will say it did reference one of the greatest films of all time. And I'm not talking about Ghostbusters. I'm not talking about Bambi or anything else like that, but I will reveal what I'm referencing when we get to the main event a little bit later on. But let's start at the beginning of the show. It was Bobby Fish versus CM Punk. Um, Again, CM Punk putting himself through the goddamn ringer. Uh, He starts off. He's in control. You know, Bobby Fish is trying to bait him to the outside and whatever. He eventually gets his hands on Fish, uh, does that. The fact that he's got a body slam over now, it's preposterous. But he does that, <laughs> soaks up the crowd's love and adoration. Teases into GTS quite early, but Fish grabs the ropes. He fights out of it. Fish gets clotheslined out of the ring and Punk hits a brilliant tope suicida, sending Fish into the barricade. Um 
Punk goes for that top rope elbow drop, but Fish later on rolls out to the floor, trips Punk, sends him into the apron, and then the story of the match from then on is him kicking the leg out of Punk's leg, specifically his left knee, strikes old, all that sort of thing. Uh, later on, they're fighting on the top rope, and Punk knocks Fish down and hits a one-legged elbow drop. I really like that touch. Um, he hits a neck breaker, hits that rising corner knee, a short arm clothesline combo thing as well. And looks like he's setting up for the GTS when Fish suddenly counters it with a dragon screw again. He's just targeting that leg and torturing Punk. And then Punk, out of nowhere, hits the GTS, sells the leg, crawls over, gets the three count, just, I suppose. But yeah, again, I thought Bobby Fish was a different person compared to the one we saw in NXT. And I thought I really liked the story they told here of, yet again, Punk is an older guy, slightly more beaten down, and he had to fight, well, one-legged for, for most of it. What did you think of it, Hamlet? I loved it. Of course I did. I'm slightly worried that I'm slipping into just becoming the resident CM Punk Mark on these podcasts now. But I'll always try and like back up my heart, eyes, emojis, adoration for these matches with the details, because that's what CM Punk's about now and you are rewarded for picking up on the details and the intricacies. There were three specific spots early on the start of the match. I think you mentioned all of them there that laid out what the story was going to be. Mm-hmm. He went for kind of a flash GTS. Um, then he followed with a dive. And we know that CM Punk doesn't do dives unless he believes he wants to go full impact. He, he said as much. Everyone should retire doing them unless they're as hard as Derby's. <laughs> this wasn't that. But what he did do was push Bobby Fish into the barrier. He propelled himself enough to hurt Bobby Fish in a different way with a dive. And then, of course, he attempts the elbow and he can't quite get it done. Bobby Fish slides out. So Bobby Fish, who we know to be a bully, and that's why CM Punk has targeted him in the first place, doesn't want to win a fair fight, does he? He wants to sort of chip away at CM Punk and have an easy night of it. And he's seen these three things and he's like, well, that's what I'm going to do then. I'm Bobby Fish. I don't need to be worried about this guy who's been out of the ring for seven years and only had four or five matches. I'll just do that. I'll take one of his wheels. And he does, and he does, and he does, and he does. And it's awesome because, as you say, you're getting to see this refreshed and revitalized Bobby Fish getting to work a body part and do so in front of a really hot crowd that are really pleased to see this earnest quality work. So you, Bobby Fish gets to get over in the context of the story of this match. And then CM Punk recovers. And what does he do? He goes up to the top rope and hits the elbow that Bobby Fish believed he'd neutralized. He manages to hit a flash GTS. And even though the leg's bad, it does just enough and I want to credit that finish because I dare say plenty of people would have considered it a botch, especially because of the way the camera lingered on CM Punk's face and he looked to the referee almost need to double check that he got it. Mm, yeah, I, was, I would say to that, the camera doesn't stay on his face that long if he isn't supposed to be looking like he's double checking. We were just worked by tremendous worked professional wrestling. The 3.01 because the Flash GTS like was delivered with a knee that had been destroyed over the course of the match. Had he have hit that earlier, with the fully powered leg, mm-hmm. Bobby Fish would have stayed down. But that was the that was kind of the reward of Bobby Fish's work throughout. And then Punk selling it with the little back and forth with the referee afterwards has allowed us to all believe that it's real and suspend our disbelief. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Could not love this run more. Give me more of it for as long as you goddamn want because for me, they're just not missing. And according to the thing I put on Twitter, about 75% of people agree. Um, there is the feeling that because Punk isn't drawing... Yeah, so it hasn't pipe-bammed. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely not pipe-bammed. Um, numbers seems to be one of the things that people are going to as to an objective measure of CM Punk star quality, but was really the comeback after seven years going to be touched for months to come. It wasn't mm. going to be on in terms of like television. Even his first match wasn't going to reach the heights of his comeback. And already we're seeing reports that... Um, all out. So all out was the. This is from John Lister on Twitter, famed wrestling British wrestling historian. He noted on Twitter, I saw. I think it was today actually that um, the story was at the time. All out was the most bought traditional wrestling pay per view since before the network was launched. Obviously, when WWE pretty much destroyed pay per view. The show it beat with ease was Elimination Chamber. The show that didn't quite beat was the Royal Rumble 2014. What's significant about that? That was the last show that CM Punk was on. So it's just, this guy can draw in the right context and AEW are providing us, in my opinion, with the perfect context. This was another triumph. Mm. I'm sure what you thought about what came next. (laughs) The law of Malachi Black continues. He cuts this promo. He's coming out of the shadows. He says, look, 
He made Cody's family turn his back on him. He broke up the Nightmare family, he made an entire crowd boo him. He said, look, this isn't about pinfalls. If Cody thinks he's won, he's mistaken. The house always wins. You're shaking your head there, Hamflet. This isn't about pinfalls, Will Bond. When we go onto the AW website and we check the rankings, you'll notice that those numbers are based entirely on how much you got in somebody's head, uh, how much you broke up their family, and how much you caused audiences to boo them. It's absolutely nothing to do with pinfalls <laughs> and it's nothing to do with wins and losses. And if there's one thing we've learned about wrestling in the last couple of years, it's that law will definitely get you over, over consistent wins. <laughs> oh, absolutely nobody that I can think of, nobody that I can bring to the front of my mind that has lost high-profile matches has all been affected because they've had plenty of law. There is just... Nobody I can think of that we can apply this example to that suggests that there is any problem whatsoever with this uh, vignette that we got. And do you know what? I was cross-watching this and I tweeted as much and there was an immediate glut of replies of people that love Malachi Black. And I understand why people would love Malachi Black. I really do. There's a lot yeah. a lot I love about Malachi Black. Um, but my feelings about this, if they were already jarred by this vignette, would get worse later in the show. So yes. consider part one of a criticism and then we'll address part two when we get there later. I think I can probably guess what that is, but we'll <laughs> get to that in due course. Uh, instead, we'll get to one of two squash matches on this show. This was slightly less violent, uh, but nonetheless, just as dominant, MJF versus Bryce Donovan, who just got taken into the corner, beaten down, and then he got hit with the heat seeker for the squash win for MJF, because it was all about, really, the post-match promo. He gets on the mic, he says, oh, here we are, Boston, exactly as I remember it. That's not a good thing. He's, uh, well, he's, he's not very nice about it all. Uh, one of the things <laughs> he says is, well, you just got to see me do what I do best, pin shoulders to the mats and bang rats. But I'll skip the second half because I'd rather put my dick in a blender, effectively, than <laughs> bang a Boston woman. And then he does a, I, I can't do it. I don't think I can do a Boston accent. Harder, 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 harder. It's, it reminds me of a bit of family. Is it family guy? Yeah, they're, they're, oh, yeah, I think so. They're Rhode yeah. Island, Massachusetts, aren't they? Boston's in Massachusetts. Uh, he says, the Boston accent is disgusting. He says that, not me. Uh, he says that that reminds him, disgusting, of Darby Allen. He says, oh, yeah, you love him here, don't you? Boston loved Darby because you love cheering for losers. He says, on September 29th, Darby made a mistake in interrupting him. He made matters worse by saying that he couldn't break Darby mentally. And so look what's happened and now it's weird that he said that because Darby hasn't shown up to work recently he even KO'd creepy pappy sting with the beautiful diamond ring the same diamond ring he used to beat hangman page of course oh, I love this story uh he says anyway now that Darby's out of his hair he's ready for his title shot regardless of who wins at full gear he is the past present and the future. And then suddenly the lights go out and Sting's music starts playing and the crowd start popping off. And then MJF and Sean Spears, not Wardlow though, those two start pissing themselves. Calls them all stupid for believing that they were coming out. And then he says, listen up. And the lights go out again. And he goes, oh yeah, very funny Spears. Good one. And Spears says, this isn't me, Max. And we see a video package of... Some rapper who's a JPEG Mafia, I think possibly Andy told me. He's doing a gig, out walks MJF with the big paper face of MJF on it. And then Darby Allen drop kicks him and bat batters him uh, all over the place at this concert. The lights come back on. Sting is in the ring. He drops Wardlow, drops Spears with the bat. MJF hightails it out of the ring, stands next to the barricade when who should appear behind him taking off a mask. Darby Allen, he has returned. He jumps the barricade, chases MJF up the ramp. And then he tosses Spears back into the ring, pulls a skateboard from underneath it, reveals, yes, a thumbtacked skateboard, which he twats over the spine of Wardlow. And MJF, looking worried, just watches as that happens. And Darby Allen takes the mic and says, Max, full gear. It's on, Hamlet." We're good to go, aren't we? We've got one of the big matches between two of the four pillars. 
Um, MJF was tremendous here. He again, we've kind of isolated this almost every week, it seems, because because to be fair, AEW have as well. Um, what would scan as grabby cheap heat from most other heels is kind of ingeniously on MJF's part, completely in character with him. Whatever whatever appears to be the lowest hanging fruit is actually the best one for him to grab. So he does that. He just insults the town and says he's going to shag your mom. Yeah. Like most wrestlers could come out in the commercial break of a TV show, say that and get booed. If you were supposed to be coming back from a commercial break, hearing somebody getting booed or you mm. want to get a baby face over MJF does it. And it's feature stuff because it's so in keeping with his character. Mm. I, just, I just want to put over something else as well. Cause I'm going to be a little bit critical of something next, but um, I've long campaigned for MJF to wrestle more on Dynamite. I think he's fantastic. I and agree. I don't want to see his, um, growth stunted. Yeah, AW know what they're doing more than some stupid idiot podcaster like me. But I just don't want to see his in-ring progression stunted by wrestling less because he's so awesome when he wrestles. And yet, they seem to be mindful of that a little bit. And again, how in keeping it is with his character. Because did you hear Excalibur say quarterly wrestling obligation? No. Um, on commentary. So they've now created a framework within why MJF wrestles as infrequently as he does and why when he does, he signs on to fight guys we can beat in 30 seconds with one finger. So he only has an obligation within his contract to wrestle quarterly. And when he does, it's almost always jobbers. Love that pinball, by the way, finger on the chest. Finger, like all of that is such a cool character detail. Again, like the cheap heat that that very few other wrestlers could get away with. And yet it's people with them, Jeff. So I really, really like that. And they know they're on a winner with him and they can't really go wrong. And I like that we've got the match. It's felt... I don't know if I just have got such high expectations for this product at this point, but I don't think MJF and Darby Allen has quite hit the heights in the way we all thought it might, especially from the week one setup of MJF not being able to get under Darby's skin. Hmm. That seemed like it was going to be like go off and tell quite an elegant story. And in reality, I'm not terribly sure they've gotten there. And I wasn't totally this. I tell you what as well, a little bit, one last thing, a little bit of this was, Oh, well, it's very convenient that Darby Allen went to the trouble of, Getting, a, getting some props together and turning up at a gig and setting up an elaborate beating of MJF and then wearing a Mac to Dynamite on the off chance that they did a lights out trick before his arrival. It's good that that's worked out for him. Otherwise, all of that would have been complete waste, wouldn't it? Like that, I know that with Derby, they love that kind of... It's one of the few areas where they indulge a little bit of that hmm. wrestling, check your brain at the door stuff. But a touch of this angle hasn't hit in the way I thought it might, but I don't think that's entirely down to the performers themselves. No, and I, it's certainly not MJF's fault because, I mean, Darby Allen was attacked by that mysterious gang who we still don't know who it is, so... Yeah, that, that was a diversion that none of us are ready for, wasn't it? No, I'm sure they had some great stuff planned and then that mystery gaggle of, I think it was five people, looked like a pairing, a big guy, someone who's good yeah. at wielding a chair and just someone I'm physically very attracted to in a, in a uh, uh, balaclava and stuff. Uh, but we don't know who it is, so, you know, it's not, it's, it's not Maxwell's fault. That's right. Yeah, it's not on him, I guess, for the, for them that that little hurdle. Yeah, right. Um, but, uh, the match the match feels big because yeah. it was always destined to because that's what they've done. In like again, it didn't matter that this angle isn't the hottest thing on the show because the wrestlers themselves are. Mm. He's done a brilliant job of creating the next generation of stars, and now you want to see them fight each other. Uh, we go backstage. Tony Schiavone is there with his best mate Britt Baker, uh, and he reveals that because she walked out of a match against Abaddon on the Jericho Cruise, she's going to have to wrestle her on Friday. And if Abaddon wins, she is going to get a championship match. Britt is not happy about this, but Tony reveals it is going to be a trick or treat, no DQ match. And Britt suddenly seems a little bit more confident about this and says it's going to be trick or treat for Abby. This Friday, she's got something bloody planned here, hasn't she? I think this is all pretty great. You know, mm. they have what would otherwise scan as a fairly pointless cruise match between Britt Baker and Abaddon. They are able to fold that into a mini television feud. It's made no DQ in front of the heel so that we can immediately see the cogs whirring and the idea that, you know, yes, she's got to fight a zombie on Halloween, which is less than ideal, but she's got her backup right there. But what else do we know about Britt Baker? She's fighting Tay Conti at the pay-per-view. So it's likely that, you know, that no DQ thing can work just as well for the zombie as it can for the dentist. This feels, again, and we're going to talk about this in the main event, there are ways in which you can toy with the inherent silliness of pro wrestling where it still doesn't betray the fundamental tenets. And I don't think this has. I think this Baker-Abaddon match, if they lean in to how daft this could get, I think it could be an awful lot of fun 
and a way more interesting vehicle to build to the Take Onty match than yet again tag team match runs out to make the save. Is there going to be a nod here, right? Um, before I say this, I want to say that I love Reba and Rebel, and I'm talking about her character, not her as a person here. But could there be a nod to the Simpsons in this, where Abaddon gets jumped by, you know, Jamie Hayter and, and Rebel, and it isolates Rebel, Reba, does the whole brains thing, touches her on the head, and then just walks away from her. <laughs> that's inspired. No, that's really good. Yes. I love that. I love that. Something else I thought of as well was that of all the people that shouldn't be scared to help Abaddon is Anna Jay because she survived her. Mm. It was, it was, that was the induction of Anna Jay into the Dark Order was getting destroyed by Abaddon. So there's a sort of almost, I was going to say, there's a mutual respect with the zombie. <laughs> Because Anna Jay has been down that road before and she knows that it's, it's very much it's your rock, like sort of big show gift. She looks at Abaddon, she's like, hey, people's brains, you are right. <laughs> right, then we got the TNT Championship match, Ethan Page challenging Sammy Guevara with just the hats on hats that went with this as well, the five on five match and leaving the inner circle, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Sammy Guevara sprints down to the ring, attacks Ethan Page before the bell, who just, he's got, I love Ethan Page. And I mean this in the nicest way again, because I don't want any, any of these people to come after me. He's got a really punchable face. Like when he <laughs> does that thing, puts his finger in his cheek and goes like, and he looks a bit insane as well, but you also really want to chin him. So good work, I suppose. Anyway, big brawl before the bell even rings. Uh, he hits some, Sammy Guevara hits this mad flipping dive before, like I said, the match even starts. Chuck's Page over the timekeeper's table. They eventually get in the ring. Uh, Page fights back. He crotches Guevara on the top turnbuckle, sends him out to the floor to take control as we go to a break. When we come back, he looks like he's setting up for the ego's edge, but Guevara fights out of it, clotheslines into Guri. Uh, he hits a beautiful double springboard cut, uh, leaping off the ropes to what have you. It just looks sensational. Uh, standing Spanish fly, that gets a two count. And then, oh my days, a top rope shooting star press to the outside on Ethan Page. Huge bap, as you would for a guest, for that one. Page fights back, though. Slams Guevara off the top rope. Hits a running shoulder tackle uh, for a two count. Goes for a super top rope ego's edge, but Guevara reverses it into a hurricane runner and eventually cradles Page to get the victory and retain the TNT championship. Page immediately, of course, pops up, jumps Sammy Guevara beats him down. Down comes Scorpio Sky to, to lay some boots in as well. And then the inner circle, complete with Pyro and Judas. Yeah, we have to wait a while to get around to the Jericho promo because of that. But they come down to make the save. Uh, Jericho cuts his promo saying, hey, I respect you, Scorpio Sky. You've beaten me twice. The only thing that Paige has beaten is himself in his hotel room, which, you know, I suppose that's slightly better than the casual homophobia we've had in this feud previously. So I'll allow it. Wanking. Well, one normalized wanking. Everybody does it. What's your problem, Jericho? We can't all pay for a boat with which to meet women. We slap our face all over. Normalized wanking. Masturbation is not a hit. Not a hit. Like this is not a Catholic podcast from the 1800s. Masturbation <laughs> is not a sin. It's off. So Guevara's one, he gets to pick. Uh, well, there is going to be a five-on-five -five match at full gear between the, the Inner Circle and American Top Team. And it is going to be a Minneapolis street fight. And next week, they are going to announce which members of American Top Team, which, as I saw on social media, features Bobby Lashley. So that could be interesting. Um, <laughs> which decide They're going to decide which members they're going to face. And then Jericho said something about Aerosmith. But I'll be honest, I cannot remember what it was off the top of my head. But what did you make of the match and the post-match promo here, Hanflo? <sighs> <sighs> give me, give me a minute. It was, it was caught in sweet, uh, sweet emotion. It was an Aerosmith song. Sorry, I just, you have to give us a second. I just, I just ran through fireworks and I can't keep up with my friends because so much younger. <laughs> give me a second. Oh. Oh. Yeah, it was sweet emotion though from the same, same places where Dying White was. Oh, should I really be doing this anymore? Oh, God. All right. Okay, what was it? Yeah. Sammy Guevara is Ethan Page, right? Okay. Yeah. Right. Sammy, yeah, Sammy Guevara versus Ethan Page absolutely should be doing this because this ruled, man. Sammy Guevara has tweaked all those things he used to do that made him such a dickhead. Do you remember how he used to um, do the kip up, but then hold his arch so that he could do a bow afterwards? 
just to get all like a kip up's cool, isn't it? We always we could do a kip up, and then he would do it, and then he would stop, and he would arch like a swan's neck. Like, you prick, you wiry little tosspot. <laughs> now, now the way he moves is just this elegant. Like it's like you know what I've always hated. I think we've touched on this before. I've always hated the idiom. Well, it ain't ballet. It sort of is. Because they're not hurting each other. It's really hard. Ballet's really hard. Darren Aronofsky made Black Swan as a sister film to The Wrestler because they're both incredibly punishing on the body. And Sammy Guevara moves around like a ballet dancer. And that which was once there to generate heat is now there to get the biggest pops. That leapfrog he's invented where he does a side roll in midair to jump over things instead of just splitting his legs. Unbelievable. We talked a lot about his dives and the way he throws his body at people. He's just... He's a wrestler of the year conversation guy for me because this year was still half um, entrenched in the empty arena vibe, the pandemic vibe. And who was making moments that you could actually remember from the matches? Sammy Guevara. And he's doing it now. Wrestlers haven't, maybe apart from Brian Danielson, haven't really had the time to arm themselves with this collection of classics mm. one after another because they had half a year where they still had to do it in the Thunderdome or empty bones or whatever. Sammy Guevara hasn't needed those matches. He's just needed these things that won't let you forget about him. It's the old, what did AEW talk about when they first started? Make yourself undeniable. Sammy Guevara is making himself undeniable and he's done it as a heel and he's doing it as a babyface. I thought this match was absolutely fantastic. Way better than it had in right to be mm. because of, as you put it, the hat on hat stipulations. They'd front loaded this in such a stupid way that should have taken the suspense out of it. But Sammy Guevara sort of dragged you in. I like Ethan Page, but Guevara was just on another level for me here. And then um, my observation of the, of the post-match beyond wanking jokes and Chris Jericho is the whole thing was pretty predictable, but was it just me or did this reveal how vital Dan Lambert has been to the heat in this program? Because this was probably the least hottest the crowd has been for the American top team men of the year stuff. Mm. And it was probably because Lambert wasn't there to warm them up first. Yeah, maybe that's a good point. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise fine. Um, this was the Tony Nice section of the night as well. And it, like the rule of what, there's been a million names, but just for argument's sake, let's just call it the rule of fish, right? Based on the rule of fish, I give it six weeks before Tony Nice is the wrestling under to stop talking about. And they've actually delivered his dream entrance of the pyro where he points at his abs and his tits and a firework that goes off each time. Yeah. Because they're great at giving you everything you want with these wrestlers. And they know that's what we want with this one. And this worked a lot better than the last time when they were like, oh, 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 I thought you might have killed himself. Anyway, yeah, look at that. It's uh, Tony Nese and his tiny knees on the front row. It's just, yeah, much pro much prefer preferable, this version of it. <sighs> great promo exchange again. I mean, we've always seen it on Twitter, but then we got to see it on Dynamite last night. Eddie Kingston, Brian Danielson. Um, they're going to face off, of course, in the World Title Eliminator Tournament. Kingston talks about battling depression every day, taking pills the moment he wakes up, trying not to get locked up because he's trying to live his dream. Brian talks a good game, but he doesn't know anything about hard work. And then Kingston says he's done talking and done listening. And he says, excuse my back. And he walks off, he storms off. And suddenly Brian smiles and he's, 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 he's just giddy because he says that. That's the Eddie Kingston I want to see. That's the one I want to fight. Someone's got, look, I've got something to look forward to. He says, look, I've been through it. Millions of people have been through it. Eddie needs to cut the excuses. It's a bold strategy. Everyone wakes up and massively depressed and wants to kill themselves every day. <laughs> You're not special, Eddie. Uh, anyway, he says, Kingston and Mox are two of the baddest men on the planet, the baddest wrestlers he's ever known. And on Friday, he's going to wrestle Kingston and he's going to beat him. And I believe him, Hamlet. Yeah, we've said this from right around the time he debuted. Um, Brian Danielson is the best heel to ever play top babyface. <laughs> from very early on, um, there has been a certain uh, edge, I guess, to, to Brian's promos, to his swagger, to his attitude and his overall demeanour, where right now he will fight for what is right but there is a like a sinking sense that underneath one of these days, he's not going to be quite as worried about that. And he's going to be able to flick that switch. Mm. And all along, we're going to have been able to enjoy the subtle movement of like Brian Danielson from earnest good guy to the, the kind of negging dickhead he, he is underneath. And we've had quite a bit of that in this Eddie Kingston for you just over the course of two promos. This was excellent. As you brilliantly pointed out there, 
and we know enough about Brian Danielson to know how much he is very much in touch with real world issues and in character choice to minimize significant mental health concerns as he mm-hmm. did here of Eddie Kingston, a way that he would neg him while pretending that he was praising him, which is only going to get under Kingston's skin more, which is only going to make him more fired up for the match, which is only in Brian's mind, hopefully going to allow him to make him easier to tactically unpick and defeat on the night. Uh, I love also that wrestlers don't have to be completely stupid in AEW. So just because Brian Danielson is right now targeting Eddie Kingston, he's also allowed to think that maybe down the road, John Moxley is coming. It doesn't have to be this thing that nobody can talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we've all looked at the brackets. We've all done our permutations and we've all seen Brian Danielson versus John Moxley as a final. And it's okay that Brian Danielson has seen that too. Mm. And to just drop John Moxley's name here. And by the way, is there any single wrestler in AW you'd want whose names have less in your mouth than John Moxley's, which I think is another like flex on Brian's part. Um, I thought that, that was a really cool added detail when he didn't need to include him. I'm glad he did here because Mox is going to have heard it and he's not going to have liked it, is he? So there's just more fuel on that fire when we finally reach that awesome tournament final. Absolutely. Uh, the Lucha Bros, they're backstage. Uh, Penta cuts a promo and before Alex can do the whole Penta says thing, Phoenix grabs the mic uh, and announces they are going to uh, put the titles on the line against FTR at full gear and Alex gets on the mic and says the Lucha Bros... Uh, say that the, the FTR have no idea the sacrifices they've made to become champions. And at full gear, they'll put the titles on the line against FTR. Zero miedo. Any thoughts on this? Not loads, but they're keeping it low-key. I remain certain that by keeping it low-key in the build, they're going to blow us away on the night. Mm. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Well, then we got... The TBS Championship Tournament match between Serena Deeb and Hikaru Shida. Uh, early on, they're uh, battling outside and uh, Deeb gets sent headfirst into the post. And Hikaru Shida probably could have won the match there and then because it didn't look like Serena Deeb was going to answer the 10 camp. She didn't want to win it that way. She wanted to get her own back. So she, she goes to the outside, brings Deeb back in, and she starts battering her with all the usual offense you'd expect from Hikaru Shida, running knees, forearms, Missile drop kicks and really nice delayed vertical suplex in there. Uh, she hits a sliding knee for a near fall. She gets a load of near falls off those knees. And then oh, 
Deeb takes control. She's trying to cradle her, but Sheeta kicks out of it, sends Deeb out to the floor, does that thing where she sets up the chair. And this has happened numerous times, and it pops me every time that she sets up that chair to do the jumping knee thing off it, and Deeb just goes, no, nah, enough of that. And either moves the chair out of the way, or on one occasion, I think, just folded it up and put it back under the ring. Anyway, this time, Sheeta has... Well, seen what she's done there before. And as Deeb's trying to hightail it out there, get around the other side of the ring, Sheeta jumps off the stairs and hits a running drop kick. But then Deeb trips Sheeta up and, uh, I don't know, shades of, a, shades of a wrestler. I can't quite put my finger on. I'm sure Hamlet will help me. Wraps someone, wraps Sheeta, sorry, in the figure four over the ring post. Uh, Sheeta fights back once they're back in the ring as, uh, you know, continuously... Deeb is targeting the legs and submitting, you know, attempting submissions and what have you. Sheeta hits a beautiful question mark kick. Dummy's low goes high. Knee strike. Deeb gets out of it, though. She catches uh, the knee strike, rolls it into a half crab, puts her in an inverted figure four, realizes how close she is to the ropes. Eventually, Sheeta just makes it there. And Deeb decides, enough of all this, grabs that 50-win plaque that she twatted her with before. Sheeta stops it, though. Hands it, well, after contemplating using it herself, hands it to the referee. That distracts them. And that allows Serena Deeb to poke her in the eye and cradle her. Fantastic near fall I completely bought. And then suddenly, Sheeta eventually cradles uh, Deeb, gets the victory, celebrates, but before she can truly enjoy the fact that she's finally overcome her nemesis. Yeah, Deeb's pissed. So she comes in and just wrecks Sheeda's leg. She breaks a chair over it. Uh, she puts her in awful contortions. The officials and uh, Jerry Lynn, I believe, uh, the lead singer of Nickelback was there. And he <laughs> was uh, just telling Serena Deeb to get off her. And she's done far too much damage. And now she's got to fight Nyla Rose with one leg. <laughs> I'm uh, going to have to calm myself down here because I was, you know, just to pull me on the curtain a bit, I was only a bit of a pretend, a bit of a work when I was pretending to lose my breath in the Jericho thing. This might be a shoot. I might be breathless talking about this match, so I do apologise. I know, Wilborn, everybody wants me to invoke that Canadian wrestling legend, so I'm going to do it. Yes, this match made me feel like Edge because I was screaming, give it to me, I need it, I need it, give it to me, when I was watching this because I never wanted it to end. Wilborn, holy f***ing shit, what a match this was. Good God almighty. Yes, with the power of Bret the Hitman Hart inspired by that incredible gear that none of us were able to come down from the ceiling of the morning. The second she walked out in that gorgeous pink and black attire as the excellence of execution, the professor of professional wrestling that Serena Deeb is. And what I love, before we get to the match, which was fantastic, because I just want to get this micro burial out of the way. Every time Serena Deeb steals the show and shows that she can carry a division on her back, is another burial of Triple H because she was a coach at the Performance yes. Center. Just remember that every single time we've got nothing but all of this incredible effusive praise of Serena Deeb. Just look back at what she was doing another in another part of Orlando, Florida. It is insane. I just cannot believe that this one was let, getting away because what another incredible display um, from Serena Deeb. I want to like just take a minute to talk about Hikaru Shida as well because. She totally found her fire again here. I loved the first match, the, the trophy match. And there were certainly elements of the all-out battle royal where you felt like Sheeda was at least trying to get herself back in the conversation mm. because she fell off the map after the Britt Baker loss. And that was very much like AEW's failure, I think, to protect her in the way that they would have done, protected like the likes of John Moxley, for example, when he lost his title. Or Miro now as the fallen TNT champion. Uh, she got none of that. So this has brought Sheeda completely back to the front. Um, two great matches with Serena D. They're already feeling like legacy rivals. This isn't the first time I've said this. We had a trilogy match um, on Saturday Dynamite that neither of us were that bothered about. This week, AEW has set up two that I actually want to see because I want Pack Andrade 3 and I want Deeb Sheeda 3. I desperately want it. And I have a feeling I might get it because you don't really fancy Hikaru Sheeda's chances against Nyla Rose with one leg. Um, <laughs> The Bret Hart overlap law is real because who else had to win a match with one leg tonight? CM Punk, the other guy that's been paying loads of tributes to Bret the Hitman Hart because he's coming in, Wilborn, to award Hangman Page the title after four He's coming in. You've got to believe it. Um, and the rest of the match was just brilliant. Um, Serena Deeb is so great at wrestling and maybe she thinks she's better than Bret Hart because she can do the figure four while sitting down on the job on the steps. I love <laughs> that they went to that specific corner to do it. Deeb hits so hard. Um, I want to see more intergender matches in AEW because I want to see Chris Jericho get hit with one of the European uppercuts 
Oh, Jesus Christ. When she puts that forearm through Serena, uh, Hikaru Shida's head in this match, it couldn't have felt more real. The legwork was sublime. The contact, the execution, loved every single second of this, including how particularly cruel the beatdown was as well. Serena Deeb um, isn't just this proficient and excellent professional wrestler that is going to elevate everybody she works with. Um, with respect to Britt Baker, and especially because of the pops Britt Baker gets, Serena Deeb's the best heel in this division as well. There's no better villain than her because she is not chasing. She might, look, I would love her to be listening to this because I want her to soak up every bit of admiration that we can give her, but she's not chasing those pops. She's no. working like she's just badder, nastier, meaner, and more effective than everybody else. She's one of the best wrestlers in the world, and I am. I feel fortunate to be able to get to watch her on free television on in like such a major American platform when it feels like we were this close to losing her forever. She's so good at wrestling and so good at being being a heel. She's almost gone full circle to the point where I didn't want Agaru Shida to win this match because I wanted to see more <laughs> team in the tournament. But yeah, it was a great story to be told. And like you say, it just really helps this TBS Championship tournament as it continues uh, and where we go next with it. And the, uh, like you say, another match that we're probably going to get between these two because, yeah, it may be one all, but Shida... I know, it'd be 2-1. Two, two uh, I feel like they're well, wrestling... It's 1-1, one, one, but Sheeda's probably not going to beat Nyla Rose and it's all going to be Serena Deeb's fault, isn't it? So yes, I was, I was trying to remember if they'd fought prior to the initial match for the 50th match, for the, the you know 50th win for Sheeda. But regardless, yeah, it, it might be one all, but if Deeb can't let it go and she ruined Sheeda's chance of winning this tournament immediately after that match. Uh, so much so that I thought, oh, maybe she'll be out of it and Deeb will be back in the tournament. So that's how much I adore Serena Deep, basically. Uh, backstage promo with uh, Leo Rush and Dante Martin. Uh, they're going to have to pull the proposed tag match with Rush and Martin versus the Seidel brothers because of Mike getting injured. Uh, Leo says, should have seen this coming from a Seidel brother, but don't worry, I'll make my AEW cha- uh, debut eventually. Uh, but instead, it is going to be Matt Seidel versus Dante Martin in a singles match. It'll be the third time he's going to face him. And third time will be the charm because Leo's here to teach Dante, not beat him like Seidel. Oh, he's a sneaky little bastard. He's injecting the mind of Dante Martin, in the words of Vincent Mann, with that lethal dose of poison. Yeah, it's, it's all right, this. You know, he's still a 26-year-old piece of gold. I want to be a cowboy baby. But it's all, like, I feel intentionally scaled back at the moment because they're not quite ready to deliver whatever it is that's going to be the big flashpoint on this angle. Um, the match will be great. I just, none of this feels like super high priority, but then I guess they're setting up a match for Rampage. So mm. it wasn't, it didn't need to be high priority tonight. So fine. World Championship Eliminator match next. 10 versus John Moxley, who did not mess about here. Stormed his way to the ring, told one of the fans to get out of the way so he could <laughs> hop over the barrier. Gets in there immediately. Locks up with 10, who, like, we we booked this pretty much exactly right on the preview in terms of the fact that 10 is not just going to get ragdolled all over the place completely. He's going to get some offence in, but it's a fired-up John Moxley. Do not get in his way. He German suplexes 10, stomps him down in the corner, and as they go to the outside, he sends him into the ring steps, rips at his mask, starts bloody biting him, and as Moxley gets back into the ring, he's followed by 10, who is busted wide open. We called this bleeding profusely, and Moxley just beats him up, hits him with a horrible-looking paradigm shift, and gets the win, and the moment the referee's hand hits the mat for three, he's off back to his baby daughter, basically. Yeah, and woe betide the fan that stands in front of the barrier when John Moxley's going to kick it, because you're going to get your shins bruised otherwise. Get out of his way. Absolutely amazing. Another incredible performance by John Moxley, doing so much with the little time he's allotted because if he was given any more, the gimmick wouldn't work as well as it does. Um, talked on the preview, I think it was, about the idea that it's more than just a designated jobber that he's destroyed 10 here, that he's bludgeoned 10, as we predicted. He's bludgeoned one of Hangman Page's best friends. Like, and a man he's already injured previously. Yeah, a guy that he's broken once before, he's broken him yet again. Um, he's left him blooded on a night that will otherwise be celebratory for the Dark Order, but then in our sort of own headcanon, because these people leave real, lead real interior lives, that a bit of the post-mortem from the Dark Order's evening will be, 
oh, we've had a lot of fun tonight, but we need to go see 10. He's in the hospital. Why is 10 in the hospital? Well, because John Moxley brutalised him really needlessly in just two cruel minutes. And yet we're the pricks because the guy just wants to get home to see his daughter. Why does he want to get home to see his daughter, Wilborn? Because his daughter, as he told us, grabs hold of that crooked little finger of his to let him know that she needs him. Why don't we tell him that we need him? Because we're too busy enjoying CM Punk, Brian Danielson and Adam Cole. He was there for us in 2020. And where were he? Where were we for him? Oh, who cares about Moxley? He's like that ugly second sheep from The Simpsons when the lamb appears in shot. <laughs> Get out of the way, you. He held us up on his shoulders. And where were we now? We're nowhere for him. So why should he be there for us? This angle is amazing. This character development is fantastic. John Moxley versus Brian Danielson is the price of full gear alone. And presumably... Uh, I don't know, is this like too obvious to predict? We'll cover it in preview pods to come, but Moxley Page feels like the player, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, exactly. That's what we're talking about. The finally, the clear run at the belt that he had taken from him and in a set of circumstances we would have never predicted. Yeah. It's going to be a bad time to remember the Dark Order. They're going to get wrecked on the road to that. But yes, absolutely. Got to agree with you. Just a real statement. I know he's done this before, but... It just felt different when, because you look at 10, the size of him, and you go, okay, well, he'll beat him, and he'll beat him up, but it's 10. It's not just, you know, some guy. It's not Wheeler Uta, no offence to him. And then he bloodies him up, tears at his mask for no reason, and bites him, when he could probably just put him down with a paradigm shift quite easily. And then even that, he was like, up you fucking go, and down your head goes, like... No protecting him whatsoever in terms of that. Yeah, really, really good stuff. Uh, we get the response from FTR and Tully Blanchard uh, to the Lucha Bros next. They are coming for those AW tag team titles. You know, they've watched people. They have been, you know, furious at how these titles that they lost uh, at, at full gear. Yes. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, how they've been mocked, you know, made fun of or just made to look cheap in the subsequent year. Um Tully uh, gets gets on the mic and says, everyone knows what reset is and these two men have hit the reset button. Lucha Bros have got no idea what's coming. And at the end of full gear, FTR are going to go down as the greatest tag team of all time, holding not only the AEW tag titles, but of course the tag titles. They already won as the Super Frogs, I think it was. Uh, the Triple <laughs> A tag team titles. Uh, top guys out. Great stuff. Uh, let's move on, pamphlet, because I've got to get your thoughts on this Cody Andrade, Malachi, Pack situation. So Cody Rhodes comes out to, oh, quite the reaction. Lots of booze in there. Uh, and he gets on the mic and he says, whether you believe it or not, I hear you. Talks about hitting the Tiger Driver 98 to get the win. And he said, well, now, now, when I had his hands hooked or over his back, I considered hitting a different move. He's talking about the pedigree. What, 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 what? He says, I didn't do that too easy uh, and he said don't forget about the person who built this place rather than the person who just wrote the checks effectively he said look take a moment in my shoes he hoises Jews into the crowd as a result of that talks about debuting at 20 with no muscles he says his wife's too hot for him I can relate he says his brother's better than him he says he's never going to leave behind the cultural legacy if he lived to be bloody 300 that his dad did but he says I will not Turn the ladies not for turn. Oh God, don't want to reference her. <laughs> he says, I will not turn because I love you guys very much, no matter how corny that sounds. And he apologizes for maybe going a little bit too Hollywood. And he particularly apologizes to Arn Anderson when Andrade comes out. He says, Cody, Cody, the people don't like you. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a cheer for that line. He says, the people don't like me either. But the difference is, I don't care about the people. He says, Cody, you make stupid choices. First, there's the stupid tattoo on your neck. And then the second is getting in my business. He says, look at me, Cody. I'm Andrade El Idolo. I, if you want, can make him a little bitch. The lights go out. And joining Andrade in the ring as he gets in there is, of course, Malachi Black. He missed Cody. They start beating him down. Oh, by the way, Andrade's manager's got a neck brace on, so Arn Anderson targets him <laughs> in all this. 
Andrade saves him, though. They uh, continue attacking Cody, but then Pack hits the ring. He makes the save, uh, chases them out, and they're stood on the ramp. Whilst they do that, Pack goes for a dive. They get out of the way. So Pack mocks Malachi Black's sitting pose with the double bird just effing and jeffing all over the place. And the referees have to hold them back from getting into it. Look, it's going to be an insane match, this. Pack and Cody versus Andrade and Malachi Black. But I sense you have a lot to say about the promos that build to it. I do, and my thoughts feel scattered. But then, you know, people seem to pop at Cody Rhodes promos and his thoughts are all over the shop. So maybe I'll permitted, be permitted some time as well. It's just, there were mad in, uh, elements of this. Some of the verbiage from Cody and especially the closing, like, two-on-two separation of the, of the two odd i was going to say unique but that feels more complimentary in the case of the heels the odd pairings like is this the enemy of my enemy is my friend is what they sold it as wasn't it that's fair enough i guess i guess um andrade's involvement in this just like in the match on friday on saturday sorry andrade's involvement was weird on saturday it was odd here because he was saying nothing just to lead up saying you're a bitch yeah and that's like the lamest thing that you can say in wrestling because it's been like buried six feet deep at this point. So that that just felt so forced and so WWE raw, like to have a guy come out, do an interruption, have another guy come out in the, I know like Malachi Black arrives in slightly different circumstances. It wasn't a promo train, but only because the train had pulled around the back of the station instead of the front, you know, <laughs> like you can just dress it up with lights and things like that. But that was what was going on. Um, so the crowd went, were energized for all that. But yeah, Cody's promo, man, what to... What to do with this? Um, I mean, very, very in keeping in Cody to want people to be sympathetic with somebody that owns a bank, can I just say? More <laughs> a thought for the bankers, guys. That's right out of the uh, American right wing, that. Um, I won't ever be swayed, ever, and this, listen to 2019 podcast, I will never, ever be swayed by Cody's humble brags, ever. Guys, I'll know I'll never be as good as my awesome family, or I know I'll never live up to my hot wife, or I'll never deserve my giant house or all my stacks of cash. Like, <laughs> what you're telling me is you got a really cool family, hot wife, and a big house and a fast car. You prick. You braggy Facebook prick, right? Don't don't patronize me, Cody. So I'll never bite on any, I'll, I'll never like just take that as being like, Oh, fair play. I'm not chin stroking for Cody Rhodes finding a different way to tell me about his awesome life. Yeah. We'll just put that to one side because that was a problem for me in 2019 and I don't need to see a return of that. So we'll do away with that nonsense. We'll get on to this. I will not turn. Uh, you guys don't understand the narrative. Um, it's never ideal when somebody comes out and tells you that their performance is nuanced rather than you saying, that performance was really nuanced. Mm. Never the right way around. And that felt to me like that was what that was happening here. And to fold it back into what I was saying earlier on, Malachi Black said, pinfalls don't matter. Wins and losses. He didn't say wins and losses don't matter, but the impl- it was about the implication. Mm. Wins and losses don't matter because he changed Cody. And Cody came out and basically said, no, he didn't. I apologise to the family. Everything's fine now. <laughs> So everything that Malachi Black had said in that vignette was rendered redundant. So it turns out, Malachi, that wins and losses do matter. And you probably shouldn't have lost that trilogy match to Cody. That was less than ideal for your rankings. The thing that AW has spent two years trying to retrain audiences matters more than anything. Mm. And then you just bray wire it because it happens to make sense in the context of this story. Because that, Wilborn, as we said, after the Saturday match, is my fundamental problem with this. Say what you want about the weaving, confusing work shoot elements and Cody getting booed and this and that and this and that. Is it not just as simple to say that even if you are prepared to jump through all of these narrative hoops like a dolphin, it's not that good storytelling. Mm. Like the, the same problems exist here for me. The match with Malachi Black, the Arn Anderson stood in the ring for a million years while it, because somebody's missed a cue and Andrade comes out and then there's Pack and then there's the mist and then there's this and this and this and burning a tie in a bin and all that sort of stuff. Like, this just isn't a very good story. And what AEW are, are the brilliant storytelling company. So for my mind, there's two things happening here. Separate your thoughts on Cody's performance of this, whatever it is he's working on, that might prove to be wonderful down the line, and ask yourself how much you're actually enjoying the Cody versus Malachi arc. Because in contrast to AEW's typically quite tight storytelling, it feels all over the shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I agree with everything you just said there. 
more of this though coming your way on next week's Dynamax between Cody versus Andrade. You know, noise gets made. Some people really loved the whole thing last night. I got a sense of that in my replies. Um, if ever you tweet something about AEW that there's strong disagreement of you, you're told about it quickly because the fan base is incredibly passionate and the, the replies fill up and a lot of people had a lot of time for all of this. Um, you know, I'd have, I'd have respected Cody Rhodes more. Did he think he was being super clever? Like not mentioning Triple H's name. I'd have been like, I'd have had more respect for him if he just said, I nearly hit a pedigree because I think I'm a dickhead like Triple H. Mm. Like just be over about it. Like you're not, that isn't anywhere near as like galaxy brained as you think it is. <laughs> yeah. It's pro wrestling and that's all right, Cody, mate. Thanks. Thank you for all of this. Is that is that what you want from me? Thank you for all of this. Now please tell a coherent story from beginning to end. If I if I give you that, can you just do that instead? Because people really love that. So they followed this with a rundown of what we got to look forward to on Rampage. Of course, we'll be previewing tomorrow on the Rampage preview and on Dynamite next week. Jamie Hayter versus Anna Jay, Cody Rhodes Andrade, and Orange Cassidy versus John Moxley. Good luck, everyone, uh, <laughs> in the AW World Championship Eliminator Tournament. Then it was time for the main event, the Dark Order versus the Elite. Right before we get to the match, I should explain the various costumes that we had. Uh, mm. We had the Dark Order coming out uh, as Brandon Cutler in Colt Cabana's case, Bambi, a cowboy. There was a pantomime horse. Uh, Kratos, Jude Grayson was Kratos. The Super Elite, they're all Ghostbusters um, with the full packs and what have you on their back that they uh, actually utilised later on. The Proton Packs, that's what I'm thinking. I'm trying to remember what they were called down for a second. Nakazawa is a big baby. And uh, Brandon Cutler, I believe it was, is the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. So we get the match. Oh, it was bonkers, this. Uh, John Silver. And Adam Cole have a match. As a match, I didn't realise I wanted to see. And now I'm yep. desperate to see it. Adam Cole just furious that Silver could outstrength him. And then he gets mocked with the boom chance. So he jumps him. And then in comes Kenny Omega and Evil Uno. And the elite distract the officials. So uh, the elite take the control take control. Kenny Omega does the evil Uno pose with a silly face. Both teams basically get into it, just taking the piss out of each other, doing each other's poses, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, when we come back from the break, uh, Stu Grayson is just on fire. Uh, backflip, knee strikes, gets Colt Cabana, and he comes in like a house of fire. Springboard, moonsault press, bionic elbow. Uh, I love, love, love. I've always popped for it. It's one of those moves I should remember when people ask on the news, what random moves do you pop for? Like Andrade's back elbow, and for some reason... Cole Cabana's Superman pin always gets me every time uh, Cole gets the save, though, so that doesn't end the match. Cabana gets cut off. Nick Jackson super kicks him. So then John Silver does that wild run of offense, going around the ring, finishing up with a German on Nick. But then he runs into super kicks and Omega hits him with a snapdragon suplex. And it looks like they've got him done with the super kick Ushiguroshi combo. But then Grayson dives in there to break up the pinfall. Uno comes in, hits that uh, I mean, referee-assisted neck breaker is the only way of calling it. Load of huge moves there, followed by Matt accidentally super kicking the official. Grayson wants his finisher, but Matt Jackson low blows him. It looks like the rest of the door corner are going to come in, though, and attack Matt Jackson. But then they, they all get hit in the cock as well. They all go down. Uh, the elite pop on their Ghostbusters proton packs and run into all of them. Triple powerbomb on Cabana through the proton packs that are now on the mat. Rest of the Dark Order members come out to try and get involved, but they get beaten down and the horse gets caught. The elite kick him in the dick. They all line up and hit the BTE trigger. And here... Michael Hamlet is where we get the callback to the greatest movie. This might give it away from the greatest film franchise of all time. I'm talking, Michael Hamlet, about Mission Impossible 2, <laughs> baby. What happens in that film? You may remember this. There's a bit where they think that they've kidnapped Tom Cruise. He gets dragged in there and he's, mm, and that bad guy's in and he's like, 
stop bloody mumbling. And the other guy goes, I'm sorry, can't Danny get talk, boss. I think I break his jaw, right? <laughs> gets his gun and he goes, you prick. We didn't say that, but to spins around, shoots Tom Cruise. And you think, oh no, Tom Cruise is dead. He's going to die. Except, of course, there's a little reveal. I won't spoil it. Go and watch it. It's the greatest film in the greatest film franchise of all time. And they pull the mask off. It's not Tom Cruise. It's the guy who was saying, I think I break his jaw. But because he's got the mask on and his mouth's taped. The other guy's Tom Cruise. He's just got a mask on and the voice changer thing that's only ever used in that Mission Impossible film for some reason. Except in this scene, the role of, of Tom Cruise will be played by what they think is Hangman Page. But it's Brandon Cutler. They've twatted Brandon Cutler for APT Trigger. He's unmasters the horse and they go, wait a second, if you're the horse, who's the state puff marshmallow man? And in this hilarious visual, Adam, uh, Adam Cole, Hangman Page, Adam Page, takes off the staple mask <laughs> and looks furious whilst he has this big puffy body on him. <laughs> so Page hits the bookshot lariat on, I think, Matt Jackson. Grace hit, Grayson hits that moonsault onto the pile. Dead eye. Silver hits the spin doctor. One, two, three. Hangman Page has outsmarted the elite and the dark order, as we previewed, Hamlet, have defeated the super elite. What a night. Oh, what a night. What a review. Very, very good, Wilborn. I honestly did feel like I was sat in the mobile home listening to Alan himself describe this fire love me because you've just spilt sunny delight all over my other Mission Impossible films. <laughs> They pull the head off. It wasn't even my star. <laughs> Wrong Tom Cruise. Oh, there she is. Bit of bush. Keeping all my secrets safe tonight. Brilliant. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if I can offer any analysis as good as your review, but I shall try. <sighs> um, actually, so yeah, th this was, that's probably the best place to start. We, we had a bit of fun with that, didn't we? And that appears to be the problem at the heart of the, the discussion around this main event is that, was this the right angle? Were these the right players with which to have this brand of fun? This we is have the two weeks that Andy had with it all. Right, okay. So, like, I'm not obviously with you guys in the office today, but I've seen a lot of that. There's a dividing line online with this. And uh, and funnily enough, I think this was absolutely fine. So I feel quite sure that me and Murray disagree because that's typical of our wrestling taste. We like to have a morning disagreement when we get into work together. And this would have been this one. Um yeah, we're two weeks out from full gear. It is unquestionably the biggest match in AEW's history, at least in terms of the build and the prestige and the Twitter threads and the law. And I mean that in a complimentary way that it's existed since AEW has existed. Ultimately, what we're going to see here is the man who said on night one in that press conference in Jacksonville that he was going to be the first AEW world champion. He's failed. All the reasons he has failed, he's dealt with one after another after another. And now he's going to beat the guy who has been really at the heart of much of his failure, physical and emotional. So it maybe feels a bit like a gamble to do Ghostbuster stuff two <laughs> weeks out from this. There is a, a purist and a traditionalist standpoint that it is time to get serious. And I don't think it's just this. I think it's next week. For, is it the Go Home Dynamite next week? No. We've got no. two left. Two left. Two left. But like, either way, we're home straight now. Very yeah, much the home yeah, straight yeah. So you, within the last two weeks, there's a very good chance that AEW might do some of those fantastic, details-heavy sit-down interviews with Jim Ross. It's off the top of my head, but something along those lines, you know? Mm. Something that tees this up as the match, the thing you have to drop your $50 on because it's the end of the world as we know it. It's Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page. And the criticism at that point will be, well, two weeks ago, they were happy to faff around as Ghostbusters. Why is this the most important thing in the world now? So I do get that. I genuinely think there's, there is a point where as the closer you get to the final destination, it's a bit dangerous to play silly buggers with your, your top angles. Mm -hmm. So I understand that criticism. However, and this is just my personal take, and again, I'm obviously on one side of a line and there will be plenty of fans on both with very good faith debate around this match. I'm of the opinion that wrestling and comedy is so much harder to do right than people give credit for. Mm -hmm. How often do WWE attempt stuff really similar to this? And it's catastrophic. Absolutely character-killing, catastrophic mm -hmm. nonsense. Um, 
like I've seen good faith discussion online today along the lines of we would rip into people if they did. We would rip into SmackDown on Raw if it had a main event like this. My counter to that is we would rip into SmackDown on Raw if it had a main event like this because they would get a main event like this completely wrong. Mm. Not all the time, but about nine times out of ten. A main event like this in WWE would look something like The Miz and Damian Priest and the Zombies. They would not be able to... Comedy and wrestling, a tightrope hangs above comedy and wrestling. And the reason why WWE falls off that tightrope over and over again is because it's really hard to obey the rules of both at the same time. And I think this is why this match was such a success. It was a fun match and it was a very, very enjoyable main event. But when they got to the big reveal, and I mean, yet again, Hangman Page is getting the biggest pops on the show. So we know that this is still the, the story that the fans have the most faith in. Much like his comeback as the Joker, which we'd all said, this isn't really ideal because it kind of looks like he's backdooring into a match. Didn't matter on the night, did it? It didn't nope. matter one bit because it's all about how the fans receive him and they receive him as the guy. If you were going to say, well, this isn't ideal because he's dressed in Staple Marshmallow Man, it doesn't matter when he takes a head off because it's just a huge baps, right, mm -hmm. for Hangman Page because they want to see this so very, very much. And then when you drill in further and you look at the details that have been applied to this, the fact that there are so many micro teasers yet again to Kenny Omega and Adam Cole in this match, you know, like the kind of the, the ongoing background power struggle for control of the elite was, was used in this match because when you've got the four of them out there, why would you not? The fact that the reveal was done not on Kenny Omega, but on Matt Jackson and Matt Jackson and Hangman Page have always been the two that have been at each other's throats the most because Matt Jackson is kind of the poison in all of this, isn't he? He mm -hmm. was the one that kicked off the aggro and the revolution tag. He was the one that was more pissed off with Hangman Page over his drinking. The one that has always been the one to separate Omega and Nick from Page has been Matt Jackson. So it's always been these two that have hated each other the most. So I love that that reveals him. This was as much for the long-term investment of this long-term feud as it was the opportunity to have a really fun knockabout main event. So that for me, the fact that they nailed the execution of this is what gives it a pass. Um, but I do understand those that felt that this was too trivial and too silly. I just feel like you have to view each case in context. And we came away from this dynamite looking at a guy absolutely ready to be world heavyweight champion. It didn't matter that he was dressed as Staple Marshmallow Man. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like I can understand those complaints, and I've, I've had it out with Andy in the office today about all that. But I will simply not have a go at a match that pays homage to the greatest film of all time. So, yeah, that's <laughs> where I'm standing with it. And honestly, if anyone makes wants to make a shot-for-shot -shot remake with my description alongside that scene from Mission Impossible, uh, go ahead and do it, and maybe put. Make Brandon put Gutler's head on Thingy and Hangman Page's head on Tom Cruise. You got the idea. You know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Stay puff marshmallow, man. Visual was very funny, though, as well. Uh, let us know your thoughts on everything we've discussed, though. Great episode of Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Our Halloween Havoc review is coming later on today. And of course, tomorrow we'll be previewing SmackDown, Rampage, there'll be Wrestle Culture, hashtag Blue Good Quiz, all that sort of thing heading your way tomorrow. And don't forget whatculture.bigcartel.com for pre-orders of Michael Sidgwick's brilliant new book, all about AEW. But for now, this has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to Michael Hamplett. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.